stress, anxiety, burnout on the job. The COVID-19 pandemic was a wake-up call for employers across the country to take mental health seriously. Some companies offered increased insurance benefits, employee assistance programs, or free therapy sessions. But is it enough? For some people living with mental illnesses, specifically depression and bipolar disorders, the stigma of even revealing their disability continues to bring on the possibility of discrimination at work or losing a job. I'm Gustavo Ariato. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Monday, February 27th, 2023. Today, how company mental health policies can be ineffective against the stigmas of mental health and mood disorders. And a warning to our listeners, there will be mention of suicide. LA Times business reporter Samantha Masunaga and our senior producer Denise Guerra reported on this issue as part of an LA Times mental health initiative called For Your Mind. Denise and Samantha, welcome to Times. Thanks for having me, Gustavo. Thank you. So what did the both of you find out about how the pandemic affected folks with mood disorders at their jobs? What issues do they face at work? So like you were saying earlier, uh, the pandemic had really increased employers' willingness and awareness of mental health in the workplace. But that didn't always extend to folks with mood disorders um, who still face stigma and a lack of understanding as a whole in their workplaces. In some cases, a person might show signs of bipolar disorder that are sometimes missed in a fast-paced work environment. I spoke with Natasha Bowman, um, a lawyer, an author, and a sought-after human resources speaker. And when the pandemic initially restricted her travel and her work, she found herself having unusual thoughts. And as her hectic work schedule slowed, she wanted to run away from her family. I found myself going into a very, very dark place. And although I sought out therapy, my therapist really couldn't identify exactly what was happening with me and just really attributed to the pandemic. She saw me as highly functioning and and didn't really understand what was happening. And as a result of not having that diagnosis, um, in January of 2021, um, I had a, a suicide attempt. She was involuntarily hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And as she learned more about her condition, she started to realize things about her working style, and they started to make sense. I thought for some reason I had some sort of superpowers, but I knew that it wasn't usual for people to work at the capacity that I did. But after learning more about my condition, I realized that I pretty much operated in a bipolar manic state. She worked for hours without sleep, all while being highly creative and highly productive. Bowman now takes medication to treat her bipolar disorder, and she has started a nonprofit focused on uh, workplace equity and mental wellness. But a lot of folks with mood disorders don't feel like they can be that open, Um, and some still fear the stigma of their condition. There was a study by Rand in 2015 that found that 69% of survey respondents said that they definitely or probably wouldn't disclose a mental health problem to their coworkers or to their classmates. What did you find, Denise? Well, mainly it's this lack of safety to even talk about the issue that's making it hard for people to even seek help at work. And the outcomes for this is that you can have increased absenteeism, lost productivity, or even this issue where you're physically at work, but you're mentally checked out. 
And one person who wanted to go by the name A. Delgado, who runs group therapy with the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, said that many people that she talked to also face these workplace issues. And they often exacerbate symptoms of bipolar disorders and depression. She's heard that the worst thing that people have been talking about is suicide ideation. She found that in group therapy, she could relate because when a traumatic childhood experience flared up and it affected her work, she was very depressed. You know, at the end of the day, she was let go. And because of that experience, she had to be hospitalized. To this day, she's afraid to even talk about it or even mention it for fear that employers might think that she's not worth hiring. Samantha, how prevalent are mood disorders in the United States? So about 21% of adults have experienced uh, depression, bipolar disorder, or another similar condition. Yeah, that's according to a Harvard medical study. And this is a workplace issue. Of the 14.2 million adults with serious mental illness in the U.S., about 1 million are unemployed, um, according to a study in 2020 by a federal agency. And that unemployment rate breaks down to 7%, and that's significantly higher than the national average. And those who do find work um, are often paid less. There's a highly cited study um, from 2008 that found that people with serious mental illness make about 16,000 less a year than those without a serious mental illness. And Denise, you have a personal connection with this. Yeah, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about a decade ago. And really, it breaks down to you experience two different mental states You can have these really high highs where you feel like you're on top of the world and you can do anything and your speech is faster, you type faster. Um, And on the other end of the spectrum is this really low depression where you feel sad all the time and you really can't get out of bed and you're just really tired. Sometimes you can just be irritable. So if a workplace is really stressful or you have a really toxic boss, it can make it hard to even get out of bed sometimes. But when I was able to get help and get medication, it was manageable. But I felt that I couldn't reveal any of this for fear that people will treat me differently. And the biggest thing I would say is that a mental disorder, it's hard to see. Like if someone had, you know, a broken arm or, you know, broken hand, you can make accommodations at work to help them with that or like, change their workplace environment, give them a special keyboard or something. But you can't really tell if somebody is going through something. And even if you think they are, they might not even have a mental illness. So it's a very complicated issue that employers and employees are still trying to navigate. Yeah, and that's why you just need a supportive, not just a workplace environment and the bosses, but also your colleagues is to be there for you, you know, at all times, just period, at all times, at all times. Denise, just know that myself and all the people at the Times, we're always here for you. And, you know, you're awesome. You're great. We love you. Thank you. Coming up after the break, what it means to break the stigma for bipolar disorders and depression in the workplace. Denise, how are workplace policies failing to support workers who live with these mental health disorders? So during the pandemic or as an outcome of the pandemic, you saw employers, um, they offered free therapy, employment assistance programs, you know, FMLA. 
or the Family and Medical Leave Act, a lot of people didn't know about this, the lack of information and sharing what, you know, these programs can do, but also the lack of these programs to even address workplace culture and how managers and supervisors can learn and support their employees more. The fact is that mental illness didn't become a disability worthy of accommodation until 2008, when Congress redefined the term disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act to include major life events that can impair any aspect of a person's life. And mental disabilities are protected from discrimination. Yeah. All of this to say that these policies need to be reducing and ultimately breaking uh, the stigma associated with mental health disorders. And ultimately, employers need to have the same compassion um, for mental illnesses as they do for other serious illnesses. Yeah, for the longest time, there was this perception that symptoms like depression was a quote-unquote personal problem or, ah, they're just making it up or you're just too weak. You think about it, just really insulting to the people who are going through this. Has the pandemic, Denise, made it easier for people to disclose mental illnesses to their bosses without fear of retribution? That's the hope, right? You could put as many initiatives and point to as many resources as you can out there. But if an employee doesn't feel comfortable in that environment or feels that there'll be some retribution and even disclosing it, then there's no point for them to even try. And this idea that it was just a personal problem was something we've heard from many sources. One person who really wanted to speak about it was a woman named Wendy Eshioni Hushka. And she's among many workers who say that not all workplaces treated this health condition in the same way. When she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, she didn't even know about accommodation policies. I didn't know what I could ask for and didn't feel comfortable at that point. And she went to her boss to explain why her work was being affected. And her boss wasn't receptive. And I felt like I was being treated like I was a failure when in reality, I was dealing with a huge mental health crisis. And the lack of empathy or sympathy or compassion was just, it was incredible. And so she went to her boss's boss and, you know, that person wasn't helping. And so she ended up being let go. Wow. Luckily, she was able to find an environment that was more supportive and she could freely talk to her manager about things. I was feeling depressed once and just needed a couple of days to kind of decompress. And so I just went to my supervisor and I said, I need to decompress. And she said, I noticed something is wrong. It's like you're walking through mud or sand or something. And um, yeah, take those days take that time off just to kind of recalibrate. And it was really helpful to feel like, okay, I'm not going to lose my job because I'm taking a couple of days off. And she quoted that her manager wanted her to get healthy. That was their main concern. And till this day, um, I believe she's been there over a decade now. She's still working at the same company. And I found that personally sharing experiences is really the biggest weapon to breaking the stigma. Yeah, I think a lot of times when people do disclose that, there's just much more immediate empathy because it's, oh, it's your coworker and you never want your coworker to be going through bad stuff. And if someone is going through that, then like you just want to help them as much as possible. That's right. Coming up after the break, how bosses and employees should approach the tricky world of disclosing mental illness. 
without breaking the law. Samantha and Denise, we spoke about how mental illness is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. What are some of the outcomes if employers fail to help employees? So we reached out to the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is tasked with making sure employers comply with the law to really understand more about this. Um, So here's Aaron Konapsky. He's a senior attorney with the EEOC. I've definitely noticed personally an uptick in the number of questions that I'm getting about mental health and specifically as it relates to the pandemic. Uh, So he told us that when disclosed to an employer, mental health disabilities are protected from discrimination. Konevsky said that you only need the minimal amount of documentation to give to your employer. That could be something as simple as a doctor's note. It doesn't have to be your whole medical file or anything like that. And under the law, employers are obligated to provide reasonable accommodations um, so that you can do your essential functions of your job as long as it doesn't cause like a so-called undue burden for that employer. Um, so for folks with mood disorders, that can look like altered work schedules, breaks, quiet work environments, or changes in supervisor interactions. And he told us about lawsuits that were filed with EOC last year where employers did violate the rights of workers uh, with psychiatric disabilities. There have been just in 2022 cases about this kind of thing where we filed Uh, lawsuits against employers for terminating people who were depressed, for example. There was one case in Georgia where the EEO settled the case for $250,000, where the individual was fired after taking three weeks off for severe depression. And the individual had a release from the doctor saying, you know, ready to go back to work The plaintiff tried to come back to work only to be told by their CEO that they couldn't be trusted to do their duties. And actually, in addition to that fine that they had to pay as part of the settlement, the company was required to have more information about the ADA available and to train their managers as well as their workers on accommodations under the ADA. But people, Denise, they would still have to disclose they have a mental illness in order to get help? That's right. And it's not easy. Every workplace is different. Every interaction with colleagues and bosses is different based on their environment. Now, Konapsky said an employer shouldn't play armchair psychologist and diagnose someone. Supervisors should stick the conversation to performance. And from there, it could be up to their direct report to decide whether they want to disclose or, you know, deal with the performance issues without revealing their illness. In researching this article, it seems to really fall on the C-suite managers, supervisors to have a more understanding approach. Like we talked about earlier, this is a workplace issue that is really important and is actually getting more uh, research done. So we heard from Rich Mattingly. He's the founder of an organization called The Love You Project, which advocates for mental health. And his main point is this is a place where we can really change policies and change the way that, you know, society deals with this. The workplace is probably the greatest opportunity to enact change because so many of us between the ages of 20 and 65 or 70 years old, we go to work. We spend our waking hours in the workplace. And what we could do at work if we paid attention would not only improve the workplace, but it would also improve home lives. It would improve personal lives. It would have a great far-reaching impact in so many ways. Obviously, it's hard to change stigmas 
that have been around for centuries. But do the two of you have hope that things are going at least in a better direction? I think that with the pandemic, as well as just new thoughts on how employees interact with employers and at their workplaces, you know, there is a little bit, I think, of a change in mentality. We hear a lot about the great resignation and that people are willing to leave their companies if they're not meeting their needs anymore. Um, You know, there's a new generation of workers who are not as tied to one employer for their entire life. They're looking for a place that will meet the types of benefits they want, you know, have the type of culture they want. And to really retain and attract workers in the future, companies are going to have to make changes, even if they hadn't done so in the past. And I think it's this mindset that we're actually seeing more with millennials and Gen Z saying they're not going to take it anymore and they're going to take back their working life because 40 hours a week is something that you can't ignore. That's a major part of living. And if having to live in a way that you can't be yourself, your best self, that could be deteriorating to somebody's life. Samantha, Denise... Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Gustavo. And if any of you are experiencing a mental health crisis or thoughts of suicide, you can dial 988 for support. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Denise Guerra was a hef on this episode. It was edited by Hiba Elorbani and Mario Diaz, mixed and mastered it. Special thanks to Jacqueline Cosgrove. Our show's produced by Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our fellow is Helen Lee. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba Elorbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Wednesday with all the news in this month. Gracias. <laughs>